Hello and welcome to another edition of Witch Doctors. I'm your host, psychologist Aaron Parks. At Witch Doctors, we address the controversial and challenging issues in from a psychiatric and psychological perspective and the implications for clinical practice. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi, third-year resident. Hi, Tosha. Hi. Dr. Edgar Ortega, first-year psychiatry resident. Good evening, Dr. Parks. And Dr. Joshua Poole. Hi, Joshua. How are you doing, Dr. First-year psychiatry resident. The opinions that are shared on this show are those of the speaker themselves. They do not represent UCR, UCR Counseling and Psychological Services, or the UCR School of Medicine. Okay, so we have a show that uh, is gonna address uh, a topic that we feel that has is not quite, um, there's not quite enough attention for it, and it has to do with the changing climate and how that is going to bring on not just a lot of changes for people as far as displacement and disease and things like that, but also mental health issues. And we have a special guest that Dr. Uh, Tosha Yamaguchi has arranged. Uh, uh, Tosha, why don't you kind of take it away? Yeah, hi. So um, again, I just want to say, Dr. Hayes, thank you so much for coming on the show. So just to um, explain a little bit about Dr. Elizabeth Hayes's background, um, Dr. Hayes studied medicine at Yale. She trained in psychiatry at the New York State Psychiatric Institute and then went on to obtain her fellowship in consultation liaison psychiatry at Columbia Presbyterian. She now practices in Carson City, Nevada, and she has particular areas of focus within psychiatry, which include climate change psychiatry, consult liaison, and psychoanalytics and psychodynamics. Um, to say a little bit about consult liaison psychiatry, I know we talked a little bit about it in our pilot episode last time, but just to review, um, it's basically the consult service um, in you know your general hospital when your primary team, your medicine team, uh, reaches out and um, consults the psych team specialists. So welcome, Dr. Hayes. Thanks very much. Yeah, hi. Hi. Okay, so um, our first question we have for you is, how did you get interested in climate change psychiatry? <laughs> oh, I think, I think you know, like a lot of us, uh, some of my most powerful moments of awe and beauty in the world have been in nature. I actually grew up out here on the West Coast, and I would spend a lot of time in the hills of Northern California, and uh, it's just what I really care about, and my, I have two daughters that are 24 and 26 years old, and when I sort of had a little more time after they went off, I thought, you know, what do I really want to spend this extra time doing and contributing to anything that could um, help people sort of uh, do better with uh, our, our response to climate change in all ways, including the distress around it, um, which, you know, is the easiest place for me to, to chime in, which is really what I wanted to do. So that's how I got involved. And uh, I got a call from a resident uh, about half a year later after I put on my list of interests. I liked that idea. And I was apparently the only person at that point who had that as climate anxiety as something that, that uh, a psychiatric attending was doing. So I wasn't doing much of it at the time, but it gave yeah. us an opportunity to start talking. And, and from that, we've developed this sort of group of people who have supported each other in trying to learn more and, and bring it into the world of psychiatry. So so you're more of an observer to the phenomena of eco-anxiety. You don't actually have eco-anxiety. 
Of course I have ego anxiety. <laughs> Think about it. Uh, no, I do. I mean, I'm terribly worried about, you know, what I, I, what the future is going to be like for my grandchildren, particularly, but for my children, you know, um, they don't have kids yet, but I, I, I hope that they will be able to have children. Um, but I really don't want those children to be overrun by a world that, you know, where the air is toxic and, and they're stressed and, and, you know, there's very little resources and people are, you know, not getting on and you know i just it, it, it could be really miserable and 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 watching that unfold is something that is painful to watch unfold and as as i've gotten older i've cared a lot more about animal life down to bugs and spiders and every little being and then i i just i hate to to watch this decline you know it's really painful yeah mm-hmm. talking about the pain i know during your talk at the apa you mentioned um kind of ways that you recommend dealing with eco-anxiety how do you how do you personally grapple with it well you know i think that um it's a little bit like the titanic right i mean you, you don't want to be not doing anything if the ship is going down mm-hmm. you know and 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 that's where your sort of uh, active hope and sort of radical hope come from is there will be bad things happening but there are always bad things happening this just may be on a slightly bigger scale and it doesn't mean that you you don't do anything about it right so um uh I just try to stay as engaged as I can, and when I feel like I'm doing something that's going to be a chip, you know, a drop in the bucket, then that's one more drop. And I think that, you know, there's so many people engaging this from so many different angles now, and despite the magnitude of the forces that we're sort of up against, you know, in terms of, of political capitalist reality, there also are a tremendous number of people who are really wanting to live differently, and you're starting to see some of those things sort of fall into place, you know, when England declares that it's going to be carbon zero by 2050, mm-hmm. and Germany is, you know, a half step behind, that's a big deal, you know, um, so, right. so, so, you know, and I remember my mother-in-law, she always said to me, you know, because she was a survivor of World War, World War II, um, she came over not particularly stressed, but, but Hitler was just about to invade Austria. And she was always just amazed that, you know, things worked out and nobody pressed the nuclear button. And ultimately, you know, people wanted to uh, preserve what we have here. So um, that that keeps me somewhat optimistic. Yeah, that offers such an interesting perspective. Dr. Ace, uh, this is Dr. Parks. Um, Where do you see our resources most lacking in responding to some of the the changes and some of the mental health concerns that are going to come up from climate change? How are we not responding mentally enough? Uh, or and just or resources that are available to respond to some of this, uh, the anxiety and, and maybe some of the traumatic things that are happening. Well, you know, I think um, at least for psychiatry, uh, there has really been a real lag of about ten years behind the other mental health professions in being ready to address this issue. But I think also it's important to understand that five years ago nobody was talking about this, that all of this information that we're talking about now about philostalgia and, you know, eco-grief and eco-anxiety and all these different syndromes and pre-traumatic anxiety, um, you know, and the impacts of air pollution, it has emerged in the last 10 years. I mean, this is a very rapidly developing set of concerns and awareness. Um, and, you know, five years ago there were half a dozen studies and now there are tons of studies as everybody's putting their minds to it, but we're just beginning to think about it, you know, and 
um, you know, starting 10 years ago, Yale really wanted to understand, and George Mason and Duke wanted to understand how do we, how do people think about this? How do they feel about it? And how can you talk to them um, about it? And that was really the beginning of the whole field was climate communication so that we could start to understand why we've been saying, you know, the planet is changing, we need to do something for 20 years and nothing had happened, and now 30 years and not much has happened. So that this whole field of um, climate communication research and how to identify the groups of people and what language they would understand if you spoke to them and what resistances to hearing they would have really started in the world of communications. Um, out of those universities, and then sort of came into psychology and psychiatry, I think, from that, from there, you know, and from other countries into America, for sure. Can I ask you another question? Um, is is it, uh, where where is, do you find most of the, um, do, you, do you feel like the people that are going to be most affected by the climate change are most aware of what's going on, and therefore they feel the most anxiety and, and, and tension about some of these changes? You know, I don't think you can probably say that. You know, I think it's kind of split. You know, certainly socioeconomic groups at the, you know, that are lower in socioeconomic abilities are going to have a much harder time, um, regardless of, you know, what other demographics they may be part of, so that, um, you know, there are certainly uh, people on both sides of the political spectrum there. Obviously, minority populations are going to be so much harder hit, you know, um, by all of this and are so much less uh, the cause of the problem. Um, but but you can't really say that it's going to divide out in terms of, of political spectrum or race or anything else necessarily at this point. And I think, you know, some of the um, emerging literature about how suicides are actually higher in uh, upper class people, wealthier people that are exposed to air pollution and high temperatures um, are interesting in the sense of, you know, they ask the question of where is the resiliency interpersonally. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, Dr. Hayes, this is Dr. Poole, uh, first year resident in psychiatry at UCR. Um, I had come across some, so this is something that I've been worrying about for uh, a while now, and I've been trying to find different techniques to address it should it come up ultimately ever in my practice. Um, I came across um, feminist therapy, and I was wondering if you could comment a little bit about that or what does that look like? Because as it stands, I don't I don't really know how to tackle this when it, when my patients bring it up. Feminist therapy per se, or how it might apply in this circumstance. I mean, in, in truth, I know very little about it. Um, what is it, in essence? Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't know much either. And if you had Dr. Lewis on, she would certainly be able to talk more to this. But I think you know that where it overlaps in this area is the idea that there have been uh, populations that were oppressed over time that didn't understand that they were oppressed, right? So if you were raised completely within a sexist reality and your role as the housewife was your role, and somebody said to you, you know, we want you to live in a new empowered way where you vote and you have an equal playing field with your husband, um, initially this sounds like Greek to you, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the idea of taking on some sort of new reality that you barely understand, that you don't have a value system for, that is coming from the outside, um, um, is actually quite frightening to sh think about shifting that dramatically out of the role that you're in. Um, and 
you know, imagine standing up, uh, you know, to all the social structures that you were in and facing the shame of people turning against you and so forth. And so feminist therapy is really about um, noticing that people are wordless and that they are looking for new ways of expressing new ideas um, and that they need support to do that and that the fears are best addressed by collective action. And empowerment and those are all ideas that um, have a lot to do with what people are facing with climate change you know hmm. it's really coming into a new way of thinking about how to take care of things where taking care of the world is what actually takes care of you um, and developing whole new ideas about um, what to nurture in your patients because you want them to be people that can nurture the world around them more than you want them to be able to nurture themselves in many ways. So you're asking people to think in new ways and that's where feminist therapy can be uh, helpful in helping people articulate new ideas um, and then to act in new ways and the importance of social support for that and collective action is very much what's called for in climate as well because we're all in this together so we have to act as a society and so the idea of being a newly empowered group um, is very helpful and and you know when you're faced with real fear Action is very helpful, and passivity is very not helpful. Um, so that, that translating your fear into action is what you need to do, very much different than what we do when somebody has a phobia or a panic attack. We try to get them to dim down their fear and be less frightened. Here we want them to be appropriately frightened and motivated into effective action. Um, so it, it has to do with that as well, a motivating collective action for the better of everybody. Thank you. And if you're just listening to us, you're uh, uh, listening to Witch Doctors. It's a show where we approach issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective. And we have as our guest tonight, Dr. Elizabeth Hayes. Um, and she is talking about the issues surrounding climate change and eco-anxiety. Um, Dr. Hayes, I have another question. You mentioned a little bit about how there's some research and how to talk about this issue with the folks that are being affected. Now I'm wondering, is it is there also research to talk about people who are um, at the forefront of causing a lot of these uh, climate change problems in, 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 like you were saying, capitalist society? It's where they don't feel there is a problem um, and they don't uh, maybe even believe that climate change is happening or is it at least man-made. Um, you know, I think the communications literature, um, what, it, what it boils down to is this idea that um, people care about things that they understand that um, apply to their communities um, and um, that you then need to find the language that they will understand right so that if you're talking to uh, a Christian group you want to talk about you know God's uh, you know, concern for the earth and man's dominion over the creatures and responsibility to respond to it as a moral issue. And if you're talking to, you know, a farmer, uh, you need to speak with them about how the higher temperatures are going to cause the crops to grow differently in a way that may be less, you know, helpful to them and in their businesses. You know, and if you're talking to parents, you want to talk to them about the health of their children over time. So it's really about... Um, 
talking to the people in the language that they can understand. Um, the other way that it's broken out uh, is in terms of how concerned people are. Um, and I think, you know, there are these three groups, um, the disengaged, doubtful, and dismissive, but uh, there are also these groups, the cautiously involved, the concerned, and the alarmed. Mm. And disengaged people can be made engaged if you help them to see how it applies to them, and you make them feel that there is something effective they can do. If you if they don't feel that what they're going to do is effective, they won't do anything about it. Um, and they can be moved into the cautious group, and cautious people can be moved into the concerned group. Doubtful and dismissive people um, right now uh, are difficult to get concerned about climate change, but they may be able to be concerned about something that's happening because of climate change. Right. right? So there are a lot of groups where people say it's not because of man-made emissions, but I still want to be a conservationist because I care about Red Rock Park in my backyard, right? So you're not going to get them active politically, but you may be able to get them involved in terms of preservation. Um, and this is where this idea of layered resilience is really helpful, right? Not everybody has to be a climate activist, you know? Um, Thank you very much for joining us. You've given us a lot of um, a further, deeper understanding of this issue. It, I feel like um, and I, I, I don't really encounter this, and it's so great that you have had the specialty. Is there anything that we as clinicians and practitioners can do just in our practice or our, our daily lives where we can kind of uh, spread the knowledge of this? It seems like it's it's going to just be a growing problem. It will, you know, and I think there are increasingly, we, we try to put um, articles on our website, Climate Psychiatry Alliance, uh, every week that might be helpful. Um, the talks that we gave at the APA are going to be available as papers within the next half year. Um, there, you know, uh, there's an eco-journal, which an eco-therapy journal, which has good ideas about how to work with this. Um, and... Um, and the main thing I would say is just be listening for it. So if people bring up something that seems to do with being concerned about the world, just ask what they're concerned about. You might also consider taking a nature history, like what is your relationship with the natural world, or what is your relationship with the outdoors or going outside of your home. Um, but mostly just keep your ears open and keep your ears open for grief about the way things are changing. Um, that's something that I would say. And remember that, you know, 75% of people are very frightened about this, actually. And only about a quarter of them have ever had a conversation about it. Um, so just as a psychiatrist, you ask about all kinds of things that people don't bring up in, in regular conversation. You know, you can ask them at some point, you know, are there things that are on the back of your mind that you don't dare to bring up, right? Uh, because we really empower people to speak about their emotional concerns. That's our job, you know. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Hayes, uh, for joining thank us. Thank you guys for the opportunity thank to chime yeah, in about wonderful. this. Thanks so much. Yeah. There's a lot more to say, and, and I hope that you will uh, take a look at some of the slides that we'll have online and so forth, because moving through your sadness about this into transformational kinds of growth that engage you is just its a very, very powerful way to live. Okay, we've just talked to Dr. Elizabeth Hayes, from, a psychiatrist from Carson City, Nevada. So I want to shift the topic that, uh, uh, over to us. So how, how much do you encounter this realistically with your clients? 
I think for me personally, my interest was just in my own anxiety about the issue. (laughs) You know, I didn't know that it was a shared anxiety Um, for me. And I, okay, let me think here. Um, When, you know, going, uh, going to UC Davis, learning about climate change and all that, all those things. um, I think it was really prevalent on campus, you know, Um, but I started shutting down when I got to a point where I just felt hopeless about it. um, And I felt like nobody cared except in our own little bubble. Um, And this isn't just with, you know, the the ecological aspect, the global warming grief is how I first heard about it, global warming grief. But also just in news in general, after the election, I stopped listening to NPR every morning, which was my typical wake-up routine. I just, I found that there was this trend in my own anxiety about once I feel like hopeless about things, I just... I tune out and take a step back and it's taking me some time to get back into those areas. Yeah, I mean, sometimes when I feel like people are not, um, when the, the climate change deniers are uh, very difficult and when I when I get that sense, yeah, that makes me have this feeling of hopelessness or helplessness. Um, I think that, you know, for um, I haven't really heard it from our clients, not really. Yeah. Um, I think it was interesting that, um, you know, she drew out, Dr. Hayes drew out the socioeconomic kind of difference that the people that are going to be most affected are the people that might have some of the, the least knowledge about just the, the complete spectrum of implications from yeah. global, you know, climate right. change. Right. And they might also be the ones that are like, have the least political power to do something about right. it. Absolutely. You know, I know that you said you haven't been hearing it from your clients, but actually at the APA. So just to explain what the APA is. um, So we go to this conference every year. It's the American Psychiatric Association, and they have an annual conference. Um, This year it was in San Francisco. It was just this weekend. And this is how I met Dr. Hayes and also Dr. Lewis, who were giving this talk on eco-anxiety. And that's where most of my information is from also. (laughs) But they brought up in their talk that, you know, one of the things that we do is kind of laugh about the state of affairs just day to day, you know. So a patient might come in and say, or you might ask the patient, like, how's your day going? And, you, and they're just like, oh, you know, the the government these days, yada, 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 and then laugh about it, like, you know, blowing it off kind of jokingly, and that's their way of dealing with it. And they said, actually, that would be a really good opportunity to just say, you know, a lot of people do have concerns about what's going on today. What are your concerns? Um, And I think that we would pick up a lot more people with Mm -hmm. eco-anxiety that way. Someone else in the audience brought up how their teenage clients are Mm -hmm. bringing it up a lot. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I know when, so when I heard that study about twelve years, we have about twelve years to reverse course. That kind of struck home, right? Yeah, because you immediately think about your kids or your grandkids. I mean, personally, the the reason this issue even became such a big deal for me. I mean, I lost sleep over this for a couple months, mm-hmm. um, and it brought up sort of a philosophical, as you can imagine, I'd get, <laughs> I'd want to talk about an uh, issue of I'm like prepared right now, uh, the rise of getting antinatalism. Excited. And the idea of whether or not it's it's ethically responsible to have children right, if you're totally. going to promulgate a culture that ultimately they're going to have sort of a more disastrous planet. 
But I was talking to actually my own therapist who I try to meet with and just kind of go over stuff that I'm worried about. And he said, try not to think of it like you're having kids and then you're just going to shovel them into, you know, some dire consequence. But think of them as maybe part of the solution. If they grow up with a father Mm -hmm. like you who cares about these issues and they learn about them, Mm -hmm. maybe they'll be part of the wave of people who's able to adjust and change it. So really you are one of the people that should, should have be having kids. Yeah. It's like that movie, Idiocracy, right? Movie <laughs> yeah. Do you remember but, Idiocracy? Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was a big, yeah, yeah. It was a big uh, topic that we ended up going over was like, who should, well, that gets tricky. Yeah. But um, if you care about something and you want to protect the future, you should probably have kids and teach them that too. It could be the mover and shakers. Yeah. Movers and shakers in the future. Hmm. That's a good point. Um, okay, so... Uh, oh, we didn't go over the, the definition of eco-anxiety, I, did we? Yes, no, yeah. go, go for it. Okay, I'm just going to read the definition that yeah. we have, uh, and we all agree, so that everybody, our listeners, and everybody can uh, have an idea of what are we discussing and what Dr. Hayes talk about. And this is from their, their lecture at the APA. Right. So the definition of uh, eco-anxiety is a state of obsessive, disabling, worry that is disproportionate to risk associated with the symptoms of obsessive compulsive disorder, panic attacks, insomnia, weakness, and irritability, and can be from directly experiencing environmental catastrophes, like the Southern California fires that we all know around here, or from stressing just about predicting natural catastrophes that are originating from global warming. And this is what we call call existential eco-anxiety. Um, so there's basically two ways that uh, we can get the symptoms, whether it's uh, anxiety, depression, losing sleep, like Joshua was saying, whether if it's because you've been affected, the people who survive floods or other catastrophes, or Kinda the like people- like a PTSD situation. Right, because yeah. they maybe were in danger or you know they lost either material things or mm-hmm. loved ones or close friends or communities, right? Right. And the people like uh, Dr. Poole was saying here, who maybe have not directly experienced this, but they also worry of what's the future for us, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Now, what can we do? Um, I feel like you, the listeners, can also be a part of this. Um, talk to your neighbors. Talk to people that you feel can affect change and of course you yourself can affect change okay and that will do it for us uh for tonight hope you enjoyed the show uh for doctors tosha yamaguchi edgar ortega and joshua Poole, thank you very much for joining us join us next week for another edition of witch doctors <laughs>